This episode is brought to you by my bookie. Uh, look, hockey, great sport. Football, I mean, cool. That's a sport too. Uh, college basketball is going to be going into its March Madness thing. The Super Bowl's over now, but there's still plenty of things to bet on and win money on, and you can do that with mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag has the most lines, the best odds, and the fastest payouts of any online sports book. They also have 24-7 customer support. And what more could you ask? They're here to help you win some money. So what you got to do is go to mybookie.ag, enter the promo code THPN. That will get you an extra 50% of your initial deposit back in free money. That means if you put in 100 bucks, you're going to get back 50 bucks, up to $1,000. They'll do that. So go to mybookie.ag, promo code THPN, bet, win, get paid. Enjoy the episode. What is up, Siren Sounder Podcast, Hockey Podcast Network? I think this is episode 37 now. Uh, Let's freaking go, Canes. And let me also turn my phone ringer off so you don't hear bloop anymore. Sorry about that. Uh, Wow, I'm recording this right after the end of the Hurricanes game against Vancouver. Yes, Justin Williams, shootout specialist. Or did you not know? I just want to talk about that game. You know, the Vegas game... I'm not. I'm on. I moved on. Well, I'm not worried about that game. What is there to talk about? It was a terrible game. I mean, they came out crazy flat. It was everything you expect from the bye week. The only thing I'll say about that, you know what? Let's just let's just kick it straight off after the bye week. Let's just get into one of these, huh? And now it's time for Zach's rant of the week. Tune out now. You've been warned. Hey, let's get rid of the bye week, huh? Bye to the bye week. Uh, or or figure it out, like split it up, like Rod Brennamore said, or something, man. I mean, can we agree that the hockey we generally see, and I know that they, they match it up, like, you know, two teams coming off the bye week play each other, but that's, hey, that's worse. Now I got to watch two teams that suck because they haven't played in 10 days or whatever. That's just too long of a break, you know? Like, I, it would be more advantageous for everyone Split up the breaks. Like, we get it. Give them give them a break. But let's... How about 10 days is too long of a break, you know? I would just get rid of the All-Star game if it meant not having to watch a stinker of a game after every single bye week. It's annoying, all right? So that's it. That's the rant of the week. It's a short one. Figure that out. I don't want to see that anymore. Um, apologies for my voice also. If you can't tell, I'm coming off a little bit of a sickness. But uh, it's on its way out. So we're all good. Luckily, I didn't have to record this like two days ago. Because I would have sounded like death. But, uh, you know, <laughs> the way this episode is going to work is, like I said, I want to talk about that beautiful, oh, it wasn't always beautiful, but the beautiful outcome of that Vancouver game on Super Bowl Sunday. Spoiler alert, have no idea what happened in the Super Bowl because this is before that. Um, and then I have a, a little chat with Tom Franklin. Uh, from the Blue Notes podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. He does the podcast for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, great guy, fun to talk to. He's a media guy in St. Louis, so he definitely has plenty of insight, gets to 
chat with people in the locker room, et cetera, which is awesome. Um, so always fun to get to talk to someone like that. And so stay tuned after, uh, you know, my little spiel up here at the front. That will be on the back end. We talked a lot about um, the Justin Falk, Joel Edmonds, and Dominic Bach trade and kind of how each side feels about it so far. So if you're interested on a St. Louis perspective on the Falk trade, stay tuned. There will be plenty of that. We also previewed uh, the Canes-Blues game, which comes up on Tuesday. So you get a little bit of insight into how the Blues are doing, what to expect when the Canes take them on on Tuesday. So... Let's get into this Vancouver game, huh? Uh, dude, what an ending, first of all. Hey, Justin Williams. I mean, you know, make it fair for the rest of the league. Or don't. It's fine. Uh, I'm fine with the way it's gone so far. Uh, apparently, we only needed to sign Justin Williams for uh, shootout goals. I wonder if that was one of his incentives for his bonus uh, in, in, on July 1st, his uh, amount of shootout goals scored. Uh, if so, he's collected it already, I'm sure. Um, but like lowest ice time <laughs> on the team and then just send him out there in the shootout, man, let him win the game. So, uh, fantastic. Uh, but lost in all that, I think in that shootout was Tavo Teravainen's goal was absolute filth. Uh, the, the hands for the fake to the backhand, just beautiful. And then the just ease of putting it absolute top Chad. Beautiful. I love it. Love to see it. Uh, James Reimer was great. Again, he's been really good in his last, I don't know, it's been like 15 starts now. I think there was that one Philly game, was it, where he looked not good at all. Uh, But if you cut that one out and look at all the other games he's played within the last, I don't know, month now. I mean, it's been a while. Uh, He's been killing it. He's got like a 930 save percentage and uh, lower two goals against average since like the middle of November. So what more can you ask there? Uh, we're getting the James Reimer that's definitely worth his contract so far. Fantastic. Um, all right, let's start at the beginning of this one. Hurricanes, Canucks. Uh, Canes, I thought, came out okay. Canucks came out pretty hard, too. A uh, couple of shifts, the Canes got pinned in their own zone, and then it was a bad bounce that, you know, Reimer had no chance on because he was reacting to the first shot that, you know, got blocked in front or Something like that. Came right to Pedersen. No time to react for anyone. Great great uh, job by Pedersen to be able to quickly falling away from it, get that one on net and put it where Reimer has no chance. Um, but lucky goal for the Canucks. But hey, you know what they say, you earn your luck. Um, so that's what happens when you're pinned in your zone. And that's what happened to the Hurricanes there. It was one nothing, and we were like, ugh, oh well. But I, 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 for me as a fan, it's easy to shake those goals off. Um, because you're just like, oh, whatever. I mean, that was lucky. It's not like it's not like uh, we're getting severely outplayed here, and we need to figure something out. Like, let just keep doing what you're doing, and you'll probably get it right back. So, uh, I hope that the players are able to have that same mentality. I know it's a little different when you're on the ice, but that was my thought after that first goal. And then uh, you fast forward, and Nino Niederreiter gets it done. Uh, second period, Hurricanes played fantastic. And a little pass out in front uh, by, oh, who passed that? Let me go look real quick. Taravainen. Taravainen with the pass and uh, Gardner with the really set up that play. Great play by Jake Gardner. I think Jay Gardner's been great lately. Uh, honestly, if, if, if he's going to step up like this, his offense is coming around. You started to see him be just, I don't know, it's just confidence, I guess. Um, but he's really playing well in the offensive zone. Still, you know, his struggles defensively are skating-wise, but, I mean, what are you going to do? 
he's not fast. <laughs> so if he's caught, you know, up in the play or something, whether it's his fault or not that he's caught up in the play, he's just not going to catch up to the guy. And you just have to accept that and understand that, and that's just going to be a thing that happens. Uh, but I think defensively, you know, when the play's been in his end and he's and he's been in position from the start, he's he's played well lately, and the offense is starting to come around, and it's it's great to see he gets his 11th assist of the season. So um, good for Jake Gardner. And then we had another beautiful play, uh, and you know this was after multiple just fantastic shifts by the Canes, and the game even started to get a little chippy, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute, but. Sebastian Ajo finds a puck right out in the slot, kind of a little bit similar to the to Vancouver's first goal, but um, also a little bit different. And he just snaps it right past Demko, who wasn't ready. And uh, great shot by Sebastian Ajo, his 26th goal of the season. I really like that line of uh, Fogel, Svech, and Ajo. That was a good line. Um, I like the way that uh, I think people people dog on Warren Fogel a lot. The and same thing with Brock McGinn, but. Um, the the mantra is like, oh, these guys get all these chances and never score, you know, put someone else in their spot who can finish. Okay, I understand what you're saying there, but understand this. The chances that you're speaking of that these guys didn't score on don't happen without those guys. <laughs> so it's not like you could put just substitute someone else and they still get that exact same chance. No, no, no. A lot of the chances that Warren Fogel gets are generated by him. Uh, and a lot of the chances that his line mates get are generated by him. And that is because he is just a true uh, um, woo, pressure in the offensive zone. What is What are words? Uh, and you see me say this a couple times that he, he, he gives you like real forechecking pressure. And what I mean by that is a lot of times guys just, you know, they, they skate up with the defenseman behind the net. They hang out right in front of the crease and just kind of stand there to, to be a presence. But really they have no intention of of trying to steal the puck. They're just kind of there to give the guy something to think about. Most NHL players, it's not a it's not a thing for them. Like you're not really affecting their decision making because they know that they could probably pretty easily get around you with that amount of space you're giving them. Warren Fogel just like goes right after you. And whether or not um, he's going to successfully steal the puck or anything like that, that definitely rushes people's decision making and causes more turnovers over the long run. So um, Jordan Martinuk does the same. I mean all the all the hurricanes kind of Forechecking gritty players, the Martinooks, the McGins, the Fogels, all all those guys do that well, and I think that's what uh, that's what if you look at a lot of their Corsi four percentages, they're they're pretty high compared to the rest of the team, and that's because they're aggressive. Uh, and when you're aggressive, you just force more turnovers, and uh, you know hard work tends to lead to more possession. So that's great. I, I like Fogel with these skilled guys. I think he can help generate chances for them and, and himself. And you know whether or not he's able to cash in a bunch of them, I mean he's still got like ten goals this year, so. Um, I think he's had a great season from what you can expect of him. Uh, going forward here, uh, another lucky bounce. Tyler Myers ends up with it out in front after Jacob Slavin broke his stick. Hashtag war on sticks. Trip Tracy will tell you all about that. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like These broken sticks are just really hurting the Hurricanes lately. Luckily, it didn't cause them to lose the game this time. And then we are graced by this beautiful Andrei Svechnikov play. This was like vintage Eric Cole move here. And also, who did he absolutely just manhandle in the defensive zone? Uh, but one, Mr. Quinn Hughes, uh, who a lot of uh, Vancouver fans, I think, would argue is is in a different league from Andrei Svechnikov, which I just don't understand. I also don't get why we have to like do this thing where 
my guy's better than your. Like, can't we just be like, yeah, Quinn who's who's Quinn Hughes is a great player. Andre Feshnikov is also a great player. You know, like, why do we have to pen them against each other all the time? But if you want to make the argument on who's better, uh, I'm going to pick Svechnikov. And he absolutely walked Hughes and then finished with beautiful, you know, power forward ability for his 20th goal of the season. And yeah, I mean, I think Quinn Hughes is a superbly talented player, especially offensively. But defensively, I thought he got worked a lot in that game. Uh, Aho bullied him a few times and stole it. Uh, Svech just went right around him there and overtime he got it taken away from him a couple times so um, you know if you if you force a guy like that to play all in his defensive zone I think that's the key um, to defending him because if he's able to you know get the legs moving and and uh, move the puck out of his defensive zone he's he's super creative and and uh, um, what's wow I'm really struggling to figure out what words to use today uh, dynamic offensively is the word I was looking for, and he can make a lot of things happen. So that's the key is is keep him in his defensive zone and, and pressure him, you know, pressure guys like that. That's that's the key to success. Um, all in all in this game, and then, of course, you had the Pedersen impossible angle goal, um, which came after a just brutal mistripping call, which, I mean, whatever. Uh, it's it's wasted energy to talk about the refs. Um because it's not going to change anything, but it would be really cool if they would just figure out how to be any sort of consistent and at least just try to stop directly affecting the outcome of games. You know, I'm not one to ever whine about the refs, and I would never say that the refs, you know, directly led to a, a, a win or a loss, but uh, they had their fingerprints all over this game. Vancouver got plenty of power play chances. I think they got four, either four or five. I think it was four. Uh, Hurricanes got one, and it wasn't even really a penalty. It was a makeup call for the tens that they missed. I mean, Warren Fogel got boarded, and I thought that it was very obvious. I mean, I don't. There's not much of a gray area when it comes to boarding for me. If you want to be serious about the penalty and the reason why it's a penalty is because it's dangerous. I mean, it was numbers all the way. Never did, never did uh, Horvat. I think it was that hit Fogel there. Never did he not see numbers when he was committing to that hit. When the moment he was deciding to throw that hit, he saw numbers all the way. And I get it. It's really hard. Uh, split, you know, we see it in slow motion. It looks way worse when you're going full speed. Like he didn't mean to hit him in the back, but he did. He hit him squarely in the numbers and that's a penalty. So you got to call it. Uh, and I don't understand how that didn't get called. Uh, Martinook clearly got tripped right in front of the referee too, who wasn't looking at the play right in front of him. Um, which, you know, I guess he's supposed to be directed down, down, uh, ice there, but you know, it's right in front of you. I don't see how you didn't get a glimpse of it in your, like, how could you look past it unless you <laughs> are like, seeing through those guys, you know, uh, I don't see how that one gets missed. There was, there were several others. Uh, and then it seemed like every kind of ticky tack penalty that they wanted to call, you know, strictly by the rule book went against Carolina and the, the super obvious ones got let go against the Canucks. It was just, I didn't like it at all. And then when they finally do call one against the Canucks, it wasn't, even, it was, it was not a good call. Like it was not a penalty, which doesn't fix it. Like makeup, get makeup calls out of the game. I mean, I'm happy it happened, I guess, but then, Hey, Lucas Walmart gets, cross-checked in the throat by Tyler Myers, a goon play right there. And uh, if it, essentially, that's how they got to kill off the penalty because the whistle blew because the Hurricanes had an injured player down while they had possession. And that was essentially the end of the power play with about 30 seconds left. So the Canucks didn't even have to kill the one penalty they got caught on them. They were just able to cross-check our player into the boards, injure him, and then, you know, get a face-off from it. That's BS. I hate it. Uh, and I really hope that Lucas Walmart's okay. That's going to be a big blow. Brett Pesci went down uh, with the cut on his hand there. 
that I'm sure looked a lot worse than it was. I mean, you know, obviously if a guy's bleeding from a puck hitting him and not like a skate or something like that, you you, you know that it's not a um it's not like a slice. That's that's way more dangerous, right? When you get cut with a sharp object than it is uh like blunt force basically breaking your skin open and, and making you bleed on the ice. So uh, I thought that the refs should have blown that dead earlier. Um, I mean, the guy's clearly in a, in a lot of discomfort, and also he like tried to get up and couldn't. I mean, I, when you start bleeding like that immediately, a lot of times that, that blood pressure drop um, really kind of like makes you start tingling and uh you your legs and stuff can give out so i mean you saw i don't i don't know that that happened that's complete speculation but uh you saw brad pesci like even struggle to get to his feet right away i mean it's dangerous man the guy's trying to get off the ice he needs medical attention i don't care how serious it is if you're bleeding you need medical attention um you only got so much of that blood in there it needs to stay in you not out of you so you gotta get you gotta allow a guy to get uh you know medical help there and, you know, credit to them. They blew the whistle, I'm sure, as soon as they noticed that it was serious. But, like, why Why are we trying to be like, hey, guy, tough it out? These guys tough out all the injuries in the world and play through them and, and keep their shift going uh, and or at least get off the ice. When a guy like Brett Pesci, of all people, takes that hard shot, is clearly in tons of pain and is, like, struggling to even get off the ice in a vulnerable spot, too. I mean, what stops someone else from, from clapping a, a shot at him and hitting him again? I mean, that could have been terrible. So you got to blow that whistle. And we got to just be more clear on that for these referees. Like, just blow it, man. Just blow it. If the same situation happened on the other side and a Vancouver Canucks player was, like, bleeding from his hand, I would be like, oh, they need to blow it. I wouldn't be upset. If they blew it, I wouldn't be like, oh, blew our chance. They have to touch it. Like, dude, this guy's, like, potentially really hurt. I mean, you don't know. That's the other thing. You don't know how bad it is until you let the trainer evaluate it. So what the heck? Uh, Just blow the damn whistle. It's, It's really, it's way more important in the grand scheme of things. I don't want to watch anybody get seriously injured. I'd rather my team lose uh, and know that someone else on the other team didn't get some sort of major serious injury that affects their life uh, than my team win and, and have to think about that guy that got hurt like that. I mean, I, it's just there's a lot of things more important than wins and losses in sports, people. So we got to figure that one out. Um, other than that, you know, uh, OT game, we're super exciting, man. Uh, way more exciting than the Super Bowl was probably. Again, I don't know, but, uh, you know, hockey is better than football in general, so don't know what you were expecting. Anyway, uh, Canes are like 4-0 in shootouts this year. That's new, right? Let that, uh, let that settle in. And while you're trying to wrap your brain around that one, um, enjoy this interview, uh, if you will. I mean, it was kind of a conversation uh, or interview, however you want to look at it, with Tom Franklin from the Blue Notes podcast. Go, uh follow uh him on twitter at blue notes pod that's b l u e n o t e s pod p o d uh on twitter and of course part of the same hockey podcast network as this show so go check out his show he does a really good job um he's a radio guy you know he's got the voice for it and everything uh so i hope you enjoy this conversation uh and i will be back thursday and we'll have some more stuff to chat about, send any questions you want to s at SSKane's podcast on Twitter or sirensounderpod at gmail.com if you want to be a part of the discussion. Um, and uh, yeah, have a great week. Enjoy the rest of the episode. All right. I've got with me here Tom Franklin from the Blue Notes podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. And we are having a uh, crossover segment this week as the Blues and Hurricanes are set to face off a Tuesday night. 
and uh, going to get a little bit of perspective into where uh, both of our teams are at this point. But first things first, Zach, uh, we talked before we even started recording this. Uh, I sent you a link to a boneheaded play that Justin Falk had uh, a couple nights ago against Edmonton. Um, I've talked about it on my podcast already, but when I sent you that video, did it bring up any memories for you as a Hurricanes fan? Uh, yeah, a few. Um, I mean, my first reaction to it was the play started with St. Louis in the offensive zone. And when you sent me the link and said, look at this Falk play, I was, my first reaction was Justin Falk is going to blow it at the blue line, offensive blue line, and lead to a crazy two-on-one or something like that. And it wasn't quite that, um, but it was, <laughs> it was close. And every Hurricanes fan kind of knows the exact scenario I'm talking about. Um, and then it was, I was kind of confused by his decision to kind of take Pietrangelo's man when it seemed like he was in pretty good position already and then just couldn't get it basically was a two-on-one with two defenders back and he just lost them I mean I don't, I don't even know the only thing I could think of is that maybe he saw a chance for a quick turnover and then maybe do a counter to the counter but it's it, it, the play just was not there for him and all and, and and also looking back at that video at the time that he jumped over, the Oilers were a little slow getting out of their own zone. So maybe he didn't think that there was going to be an issue on the back door. But, you know, the problem with that is that uh, Leon Dreisaitl is kind of good at hockey. And he's, yeah, he's, he's good at skating. And, yep. uh, yeah, he basically torched, you know, Falk and, and Petrangelo on that. And, you know, Jake Allen had to make that save, too. I've, I've talked about that on my podcast. But, uh yeah, that's, that's the first thing I want to kind of jump in here uh, with Zach because this is our first chance to talk as fans of our respective teams about the big trade that both our teams made with each other starting off in this season, and that was Justin Falk to the Blues for Joel Edmondson and Dominic Bach. And I, first of all, before I say anything about this trade, although you can kind of guess where I'm going with it, I want to I, I want to get your thoughts on how Joel Edmondson has acclimated in Carolina. So I mean I'm I'm a huge fan of Joel Edmondson. He reminds me, and for any uh, people who remember any past Hurricanes teams, he reminds me a lot of Tim Gleason, who used to play for the Canes. Is just a really good. Uh, I won't say like completely stay at home guy. I mean he's definitely he went on like a seven game point streak or something earlier in the season, which was awesome. Um, but definitely a more defensive-minded, physical guy who you just kind of know what you're getting from him day in, day out. He's not by any means like a crazy elite shutdown defenseman, but he handles his business. And uh, I think that that, for me, the kind of play I respect, that's just like, I love that. I love knowing what you're going to get out of a defensive guy. He's going to be responsible. He's not going to pinch when he shouldn't and all that sort of stuff. Um, he's been He's been good, unfortunately, with the... Uh, Dougie Hamilton injury, he's kind of been thrown into a pretty difficult position, I would say. He's had to play. I mean, he's been playing a mix between top four and, and uh, third pair minutes. I think he's fine as a, as a second-pairing defenseman, uh, especially with a guy like Brett Pesci, who to me is one of the uh, most elite defenders in the NHL. Um, but, you know, with Hamilton out, he's had to slot up a lot with Jacob Slavin, and I think that that's a tough assignment I mean again I love Joel but I think that his skating ability he he struggles a lot to keep up with a lot of those faster forwards I mean all the top lines in the NHL are 
ridiculously skilled. So regardless of the team, you know, even if it's a not great team, the first line's probably still really good. So uh, he he can take a lot of penalties and all that sort of stuff. And he's one of their best penalty killers. So that hurts to not have him. But all in all, I've I've definitely been happy with the value that Kane's got from a guy like that. Yeah, and the thing with Joel Edmondson, you you mentioned it right there, and these are these are things that kind of uh, soured the blues a little bit on Edmondson is that he's not a great skater. Uh, he does struggle sometimes, like just even with balance. I mean, he had some issues just staying on his skates here in St. Louis. Uh, but then there was also just the fact that I think he suffered a little bit from his own hot start with the blues because he came up right at about the same time that Colton Pareko did. And those two like really started off hot, and and you're thinking maybe as a Blues fan that we just got our f- uh, future number one pairing there, Edmondson and Pareko, two big beefy, you know, physical guys uh, that can also contribute on offense. And I think as time went on, Edmondson kind of showed that you know whereas Pareko could be a top pairing guy, I think he, as you said, is kind of more of a second or third pairing type. And when asked to do more than what he's capable of, he he faltered. And that was kind of – and I think that kind of led to his uh, demise here in St. Louis. And uh, it, it, it's unfortunate because, you know, I, I enjoyed watching him play, but at the same time, it was – you had these ex- expectations for him that he just wasn't quite meeting up with. So, but at the same time, blues fans are probably, you know, groaning when, you know, you talk about how great he's assimilated in Carolina um, because here we go. The blues let another good one go away. Well, hmm. when you're in a situation like a Robbie Fabry is, for instance, you know, Robbie Fabry was buried in this lineup. He wasn't, ever going to get out of Craig Berube's doghouse. The two just did not see eye to eye. It was not going to work here. So you send Robbie Fabry to a place where he can get better and where he can get more playing time in a role that suits him better. And guess what? He plays better. And I, th- mm-hmm. and I think Edmondson is benefiting from that in Carolina where he doesn't have a lot of expectation on him. He can be part of a very deep core in Carolina and uh, he can excel in the role that best suits him. Yeah, uh, yep. I think that sums it up pretty well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, now as far as Justin Falk goes, and, and, and you, can, you can respond to this, he started off really slow in St. Louis because I don't know that Craig Ruby knew exactly what to do with him at first. He had him bouncing around with different line pairings, and they tried him in the offhand with Petrangelo at first. Uh, that didn't work at first, but that seems to be doing okay now. And it seemed like Justin Falk had some t- uh, trouble assimilating on a pretty tightly knit St. Louis Blues roster. And as, as time's gone on, like I thought in December he started playing really well. Uh, in fact, he's actually not playing bad now. I mean, as you saw there, Zach, he was playing on a pairing with Petrangelo, and that mm-hmm. seems to be the pairing going forward. Um, you know, you pair up a guy like Justin Falk with a Petrangelo who are, you know, you look at the two and you think they're pretty similar, um, and they do share some similarities, but Petrangelo is usually a lot more responsible on his own end, whereas Justin Falk, as we've seen, can be, you know, a little irresponsible, if you will. Um I think I still think of I'm still of the mind that I think Justin Falk will be okay. Um, the problem with just okay though is that contract. 
Yeah. That's six that's and a half the, million dollar contract. I'm going to talk here in a little bit after, after our podcast about where the blues go, like with the Seattle expansion draft. And I'm kind of get, I'm kind of thinking that Falk might be that candidate to be a guy that Armstrong tries to bribe Seattle into taking, you know, <laughs> just to protect some other younger stars. But, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so overall, I, I guess it'd be fair to say, Zach, that you're pretty happy with this trade so far. Yeah, um, I mean, it goes both ways because uh, it's it's a really hard thing to sum up Justin Falk from a Hurricanes fan perspective because <laughs> there's there's just so much that goes into it. I mean, he uh, starting off. I mean, I remember I went to a preseason game uh, when he was first kind of tried out in the roster like trying to make the team and I just remember looking and being like who is this Falk kid he's he's killing it out there like I'm super impressed by him he he was drafted you know relatively high and I, I not really expected to be an impact player right away but you saw him jump into the lineup and you were like this kid's got skills um like you know he's a he can move the puck but I mean it was mostly his defensive ability he was just a very talented uh, guy at shutting down some of these really good forwards and you saw him break into the Hurricanes roster early in his career. I mean, he's an all-star, and he was. it looked like, oh, man, we've got an elite defenseman for years and years and years. Like, he was going to be a franchise, shut-down, two-way defender who was just, you know, killing it every year. And then, I mean, and I, it's, it's hard to say exactly what the cause is because, to be honest, he played on a lot of not-good Hurricanes rosters um, during a time where they had an owner that – you know, was on a budget and not willing to spend to the cap. And the team usually tried to, you know, call up guys from, from Charlotte or Albany at the time and, and try to, you know, plug holes. Uh, you see it happen a lot with teams that are just looking for answers and aren't necessarily willing to go out and get the pieces. They just hope that the answer's on the roster. For the Hurricanes, it definitely wasn't. The answer was not on the roster for years. <laughs> they struggled. Um, and so Justin Falk didn't really have a ton of help, but still he... You saw him, you know, I mean, he set like a record for power play goals one year for the Hurricanes. And somewhere along the lines, the offense just disappeared. And I think it had to do a lot with, I honestly think that the the team let Justin Falk get away because the culture over that 10-year playoff drought just really started to not be good. I mean, this is why every Hurricanes fan is so appreciative of Rod Brendamore and what he's done for the team because those teams, it, it just, it wasn't a good atmosphere. The play, and I mean, now you hear all the stuff coming out about Bill Peters and everything. And I mean, you can you can see how a lot of guys didn't like coming to the rink. And Justin Falk was one of the first ones to say, like, it actually made me sad last year in an interview. Um, he he had said, like, you know how much during that second half stretch, which you can relate to, the Blues did the same thing. Uh, and the Hurricanes were just on a tear and, and lighting it up and just seemed determined to get back into the playoffs no matter what. And you could just see how much fun all the guys were having. And Justin Falk was one of them. And he even said uh, in the locker room one day that, you know, over the last few years, there were plenty of days where it, it wasn't fun to come to the rink and you didn't feel like doing it. And it wasn't a great environment. And you, you feel bad for those guys because I think it did impact a lot of their attitudes of how they approached the game. It, it felt more like a job and, and less like, you know, a, a thing you love doing. So I think that that really weighed on Justin Falk along with kind of the responsibilities. And when you're, you know, one of these top defensemen on a team that keeps getting scored on and all has a bunch of defensive breakdowns, most likely because your 12 Fords have no idea how to play defense <laughs> or 
have any sort of system of back checking, um, you know, that, that pressure starts to get to you and it starts getting a little debilitating, I guess. And I, I think he really kind of stopped, like he didn't have the best attitude going forward. I mean, you can't blame him, but I think that in the off seasons, he didn't put as much work in as he, as he probably should have. And I'm sure he'd be someone who would agree with that too, but he just seemed to start getting a little slower. Uh, and so I think that that had a lot to do with the, the offense drying up. I mean, it's hard to break out and, and lead chances from the defensive zone when you don't have speed. That's kind of what is required to be that. Look at any of the elite offensive defensemen, and, and they're all fast. I mean, you can't get from one end to the other and create a chance without going past someone somewhere along the line. So I think that that hurt Justin Falk. And then because of that, I mean, you saw it in that play that you sent over to me against Edmonton. Uh, he just gets it's beat. It's like he gets caught flat-footed. Um, you know, he put on a few pounds at one point and and probably needed to be a little lighter and just stuff like that. I think that started hurting him. I think you're still seeing him trying to get back to form. Um, but you know, Justin Falk, I feel bad for him a lot. He's just been a scapegoat everywhere he's been. It seems like for for a long time. And uh, I think a lot of it has to do with just unrealistic expectations. But I mean, to be honest, it's kind of on him because he's shown at some point in his career that he can, he had the ability to be an elite two-way defenseman and it just kind of dried up and he never really got back to it. But last season for the Hurricanes, I mean, I thought he played fantastic. He, he seemed like he was revitalizing his career, not necessarily with the offense. Um, but I think the Hurricanes didn't really need it. They had a guy like Dougie Hamilton, um, to step in and, and be that kind of guy. So you just needed Justin Falk to play good defense. He was paired with Brett Pesci last year, and that was the best defensive pairing on the team. I mean, I love Jacob Slavin, uh, and I love Dougie Hamilton, but those two guys, Pesci and Falk, I mean, Rod Brindamore was throwing him out there against everyone. The Hurricanes don't make it as far as they did in the playoffs without uh, Justin Falk and Brett Pesci because, honestly, Dougie Hamilton wasn't good in the Washington series defensively. I mean, everyone remembers the play against Ovechkin where he kind of shied away from contact and let him get a nice chance out in front. And that, you know, that could have gone south quickly without Justin Falk and the team. You don't really have anybody else to throw into that position. And, uh, you know, he, he was great. He was great. And so here comes the off season. And obviously he's a pending UFA after the season's up. You know that there's a lot of interest in him around the league. And I think everyone knew there's no way we're re-signing Justin Falk. He's, he's sounding like he's going to get at least $6 million a year. He's been way too inconsistent for that. No Hurricanes fan thinks that he's worth that. And I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to disagree. I think that it, it, was, it was becoming hard to justify knowing that you've got a Dougie Hamilton that you'd rather throw your money at, which I think is fine. Not every team has a Dougie Hamilton to step into that role. So, um, but with that just came, you know, we got to move this guy. We got to move this guy. We got to get something for him. We can't lose him for nothing. And I will say that there were plenty of times where I thought, hey, I mean, it seems like this team made the playoffs last year on their defense and, and really did well on their defense. I mean, yes, yeah, Sebastian Ajo had a career year, point-per-game player. That was great. Tavo Teravainen's obviously an elite forward. Uh, and you got Andrei Svechnikov, who's continuing to get better. All that sort of stuff, that's great. Um, but you can't add offense by subtracting defense. To me, that's not a winning formula. And I was very adamant about that. Uh, I don't think that was a super popular opinion because a lot of people were all on board with the uh, Justin Falk for Andre Kasha rumors and all that sort of stuff. He was going to get traded there until he waived it. Uh, and I, I didn't like that. I didn't like it. I, I think Kasha is a great player, but I think that 
you getting a little bit more offense, maybe a, a you know, maybe a 20 goal guy somewhere around there to lose a top four defenseman and get no one to replace it. That to me was uh, uh, unheard of. And if the Hurricanes would have made that move, they would not be in the playoff hunt. I'm confidently willing to say that, especially with the injury to Dougie Hamilton now. They would have been absolutely, you know, hung out to dry on the defensive end. It would not have gone well. Well, fast forward to now and, you know, the the injury. And and it kind of, it's it just seems like, you know, would they have been better with him in the lineup this year? I think probably so defensively. Um, but, you know, I'm fine with trading him and getting it. And honestly, I'd like the trade because they got Edmondson back. Because I think that Edmondson has been able to um, take on a lot of the defensive responsibility about as well as Justin Falk uh, would have. I think that Justin Falk would be a slight upgrade in the defensive end because he's, I mean, you've seen it. He can play those minutes with Petrangelo. Like he's very capable of playing 25 minutes a game. Um, And there's Edmondson's just not to me. I mean, it's not a fault of him. Again, it's like expectations. He's not going to be what he's not. You got to, you got to just say, hey, Joel Edmondson, you're a, uh, basically a, a fourth or fifth defenseman and that's fine like every team needs a fourth or fifth defenseman it's not exactly. a it's yeah. not a bad thing um, but you know don't expect him to be a, a two three guy and if you're expecting him to be a two three guy it's just it's you're gonna taint your your kind of judgment of the guy same thing with Justin Falk I mean you throw six seven million dollars at the guy and he's probably not a top two guy defensively and unless his offense comes back he's not a top two guy offensively so you know you're looking at a guy who can be a fourth defenseman and probably anchor the top four pretty well and add some good depth and you know maybe on the power he's got a bomb of a shot I honestly never understood why more teams don't just put him in the kind of Ovechkin spot as a right-handed shot and just let him tee up because he's still got a really good shot um and but he's not a he's not a quarterback I think a lot of people just want him to be, and he's just—he's never going to be. Like I don't—I don't know what to tell you on that. He's not going to be a Eric Carlson, you know, John Carlson, playmaking guy who can also score. Like no, Justin Falk got offense from his shot. That was—that was his main thing. You throw it to him at the point, you get a screen in front, he tees up, and it's going in a lot. Kinda, so um, it kind of reminds me—he kind of reminds me a little bit of you know you, you're mentioning some of the you know the fact that he's not necessarily a poor uh, you know power play quarterback um and then he's also not the get best skater you know he kind of reminds me of a poor man's Al McGinnis in that regard you know Al McGinnis was a guy that had a bomb of a shot I mean he owned the hardest shot competition in the all-star game for years a uh, guy would mm-hmm. put up buckets of goals every year as with that big right-handed slapper but he was also not the greatest skater I mean, he was he, he was okay. He was fine, and I think Falk's okay and fine in that regard. Um, but it just it just yeah, and, and to your point, I mean, it, it does still kind of feel to me like they're finding what Falk fi- finding. They're still learning about Falk, and and, it, and it's it's our, it's February, and it's it's concerning to uh, the the fact that they still haven't you know ironed out his role fully yet. I mean, yeah, he's playing okay with Petrangelo so far, but at the same time, you want to see him take that step forward. You want to see him kind of show us that player that he was before. Now, you were kind of talking, Zach, that, you know, your best defensive pairing, you know, up until, you know, this this year probably was Falk and Pesci. And Pesci is a guy that I see mentioned around a lot as a guy that doesn't get his just desserts as a really good defenseman. Do you think Absolutely. this was a? Do you think this was a case of Pesci maybe bringing out the best in Falk, um, or what? What made that 
pairing works so well. Yes. I mean, Brett Pesci brings out the best in everyone to be. Uh, I think that, you know, for years, Hurricanes fans were saying Jacob Slavin's the most underrated defenseman in the league. And now you've kind of started to see people start to realize like, oh man, this guy is for real. He's really good. Uh, and, you know, now he kind of gets a lot of credit. Now Brett Pesci is that guy. Brett Pesci is a top two defenseman on any team in this league. Like, I, I, I don't care how good anyone's defense is. His, abil- his defensive ability is up there with Slavin. And he also has sneaky offensive ability as well that I think a lot of people don't realize. Um, so, yeah, I think that anyone who plays with Brett Pesci automatically gets a, gets a bump. And Justin Falk was a benefactor of that. I think Joel Edmondson has been this year, too, when he plays with them, uh, which is why I think You've maybe seen Hurricanes fans be more happy with this performance in a top four role than St. Louis fans is because, you know, Brett Pesci just brings out, you know, the, the, the good in guys and um, kind of allows Edmondson to be that stay-at-home guy because Brett Pesci's going to help drive the offense a little more and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I think that Justin Falk's play last year and his kind of uh, renaissance, if you will, into, into getting back to that elite, defensive play was definitely helped along by Brett Pesci but to that I would say okay cool I mean like I, I still think that they could have kept him and I don't who cares if if Brett Pesci is the reason why that pairing is so good if it's good you know what if it ain't broke don't fix it you know <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely well uh, I want to you know turn attention now to the uh, game on Tuesday uh Blues and uh, Hurricanes and uh a lot of Blues fans you know, when, when, you know, they look at your roster and they, they, if they know anything about the Hurricanes, they know that the Hurricanes have a deep defensive core. Defense has always been kind of, you know, the Hurricanes MO in recent years, as you mentioned with, you know, Justin Falk, you know, leading the way for so long as he did. But this year, just looking at them from a distance, it really seems like that the Hurricanes' offensive core has really dialed it up a lot, uh, particularly the play of Andrei Svechnikov, the 19-year-old from Russia uh, who had, you know, but probably a good, you know, fine rookie season, but not great. Now he's almost a point-per-game guy. I mean, what has been behind his, you know, explosion this year? He's so talented. I mean, uh, he just, uh, when we drafted him second overall, I just had flashbacks to, hey, I remember the last talented four we drafted second overall. His name was Eric Stahl. And uh, he came into the league and and played, you know, didn't necessarily get top, top line minutes. Uh, he also had Ron Francis to play behind and Rod Brindamore um, right after that. But, you know, he, he put up a 30-ish point season. And then for him, luckily, his second year was the, uh, 0405 lockout where he got to go to the AHL for a year and just destroy everyone. I mean, it wasn't even fair. He was completely above that league and then came in in 05, 06. And I mean, is the reason the Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup. 100 point season, uh, led the, the playoffs and power play goals. I think I just remember every time you get on a stick, it was like he was going to score. Uh, and fast forward to Andre Svechnikov, and I'm just I, I see so many of the similarities in their progression. Like, here's a talented young 18-year-old who's also playing for a coach in Rod Brendamore that is probably the most... I mean, you, you hear all the time about player coaches, you know, kind of putting themselves in the player's shoes and probably being better at coaching the players and maybe less systematically as good as, you know, some of these strategy coaches. Well, Rod Brendamore is the epitome of a player's coach. He knows exactly what it's like to be 
in Svechnikov's shoes, right? Brandon Moore is a talented 18, 19 year old rookie. Uh, you know, so he, he knows what that's like and he knows what all that pressure is like. And, and he knows how to shelter a guy like that in a, in a positive way to where he can say, I know that the biggest thing you need to work on is just the adjustment to the NHL game, the defensive side for all these you know, high-end, talented forwards that get drafted. I mean, it's not hard to play defense in the CHL <laughs> as it is in the NHL. That's a huge <laughs> jump. So you might be a wizard offensively, but everybody needs to work on their two-way game when they first jump into the league. So, you know, he's playing on a fourth line for most of the year. Uh, as the season progresses, he really starts to make progress to his own credit. I mean, Rod Brendamore will tell you the kid's always asking what he can do better, always in the video room, you know, first on, last off the ice type guy. Even during this last bye week, he's he's at all the optional skates and on the ice, you know, as much as he possibly can. The kid just loves to play hockey and he wants to be, he is not, and the Hurricanes color commentator, Trip Tracy, says this all the time. He's not your quote unquote typical Russian. Uh, you know, he, he, <laughs> He's used to that North American game. Uh, you know, a lot of Russian players, it's just a more skilled offensive, like, ah, defense is whatever type deal. And, I mean, I'm sure you can think of a lot of other forwards in the league and, and understand exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. But Svechnikov is definitely committed to that, you know, North American game. He plays a powerful uh, power forwards game and, you know, is, is so much better in his defensive end now. He's not a complete liability like he used to be. <laughs> you know, he has his moments, but... Uh, he is just he is just super talented, and now this year Rod's able to trust him and put him in that top six role and let him. He's on the power play. He was never on the power play last season. Twenty goals season, like I don't think a lot of people don't know this. Twenty goals as an eighteen year old, all of them even strength. So that's pretty impressive. I think if you look at even strength goals among some of the top goal scorers in the league, and you probably get a lot of guys around that number. So if Andrei Svechnikov was on the power play last year and was just able to tee up that great shot he's got, he probably ends up with closer to 30. Um, we're looking at that you know, season a little differently and saying, does this guy get more Calder consideration and all that? Um, but you know, this year, he's, he's kind of earned the trust of his coach, and he's less sheltered. And I mean, give that guy the opportunity, and he's definitely going to take advantage of it. So that's yeah. been great. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to watch him develop because you know that the comparisons to Vladimir Tarasenko are going to be there, given that they are, you know, two very talented left-handed shooting Russians, you know, that can put up points in bunches. Um, and, mm-hmm. and and it's like you mentioned as well, like, you know, Sveshkov saying that he's not your typical Russian and that he, he does chip in on defense. Uh, that was something that Tarasenko, you know, it took him a little time to develop because, you know, unlike Sveshnikov, you know, Tarasenko stayed in Russia, you know, throughout his youth career. Um, but mm-hmm. there, but he really wanted to play the North American game. And so when he got over here, yes, he was pretty bad on his own end, you know, when he started out. But it was something that he worked on. And I wouldn't call him anything resembling a Selkie candidate by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but, you know, he's not he's, he's not a total he, – he chips in, you know, at, at the very right. least. So it's, you know, it, it, it's refreshing to see – players coming from Russia that are breaking that, you know, soft label that uh, Russians often have. Yeah. Vladimir Tarasenko is one of my favorite players to watch. I mean, I've always been such a fan of his and uh, I, I think that's a big reason why, but he, he's, he's so good. Uh, um, I, if, if Svechnikov can live up to anywhere near that comparison, I'll be very, very happy about it. <laughs> well, hopefully he stays a little healthier than Tarasenko. Of course, Tarasenko, yeah. still, he's, he's still out and he's, uh, 
I watched Doug Armstrong again in the um, it was in the uh, Winnipeg game Saturday night, basically saying that he's expecting next couple of weeks to get an update on Tarasenko and how he's doing. They're still hoping that he might be there for a playoff run, but if not, the Blues might end up being players in the trade deadline. Um, right. They, you know, it, it's kind of unheard of for a team as tight as the Blues are to even be considering, you know, making big additions to the deadline. You know, they're still you know, at, at the time we're recording this eight points up on Colorado in the West, but there is some dark clouds, you know, lately for the blues, they've lost five of their last six dating to before the all-star break. And they've, they've just kind of run along a really bad patch of form of late. It's kind of the doldrums of the season. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. Jan- it's January, February, you know, we haven't really hit the home stretch yet. And the blues, you know, they had an all, they hosted the all-star game and then, but they still have like a week off plus from, you know, playing competitive hockey and they got to find it in Western Canada. You know, and, and right. on that That's and on that dreadful easy. Western Canada road trip, not ideal. No, uh, not ideal to say the least. Uh, uh, so you know, the Blues might be looking to add a forward in this trade deadline. Uh, what does Carolina need? Oh, they need a top four defenseman, very very badly. Um, my choice out of the ones that seem to be kind of available would be a guy like Brendan Dillon from the Sharks. Um, you okay. know, a physical guy who can anchor basically. The Hurricanes traded both Calvin DeHaan and Justin Falk from last year's roster, um, which is, is, is all well and good. You know, with Justin Falk, it was they, they didn't want to lose him for nothing, and they got a guy back who could kind of replace him for this year. That's fine. With Calvin DeHaan, it was definitely this guy's making $4.5 million to pay on the third pair, and also we have concerns about his health going forward. You see how that ended up. I mean, definitely probably a smart move. Uh, unfortunate for DeHaan, who's probably one of the best people – in the game. Um, but you know, injuries are what they are and it sucks that it keeps you out of the lineup. But, um, now without Dougie Hamilton, I mean, even before the Dougie Hamilton injury, basically what it was, was the hurricane signed Jake Gardner. And you can see by the contract they gave him that they expected him to jump into the top four and, and be great. And again, I mean, I don't, I don't know that you can blame this on Jake Gardner. It's another case of you're expecting more out of a guy than he can possibly give to you. Um, you know, he had that, back injury that I think has really hurt his skating and he already wasn't you know a a blazing skater he was a he was a fine skater but you know not blowing guys away and not able to uh uh recover in his own zone super well and you know all the I mean the Toronto fan base blows it up but um the the defensive lapses I mean I always thought like I mean he has his moments but he's not as bad as you guys make him out to be um but this year it's I mean you 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 see it and you're like, every, it was the same thing in, in Carolina. I mean, not to the same degree because we're nicer, I feel like, in the in the Southeast than uh, those folks up in Toronto are to their sports players. But, um, you know, he, he definitely has plenty of moments. He's been fine lately, but uh, his skating ability really just made him a complete defensive liability. And there's no way that they could trust him to consistently play on that second pairing with Brett Pesci. Well, now he has to because, you know, uh, a guy like Edmondson or or Van Riemsdyk or you know somebody has to jump up with Jacob Slavin because if you put Brett Pesci up with Jacob Slavin now you've got a one defensive pair team <laughs> and all third pairing defensemen behind that and it's not going to work so uh, the Hurricanes needed it anyway and now they desperately need a top four defenseman their their bottom guys just 
consistently get penned in their own zone. And I mean, if you know anything about the Hurricanes kind of advanced analytics of side of it, you know that they're a possession driving team and that's how they win games. Well, that hasn't been going very well lately because they've spent, you know, they get three, four, five shifts a period hemmed in their own zone for a minute and a half plus and, and that doesn't then their offense doesn't get to do anything. So they definitely need to add a defenseman. Well, at the time we're recording this, we're recording this before the Sunday game, but the Hurricanes still very much in the mix in the Metro and just the playoffs in general, sitting at 61 points, two points back of the likes of the Flyers, the Blue Jackets, also uh, the aforementioned Maple Leafs. Uh, and, of course, you're under the leadership of Rod Brindamore. A, uh, and, and you, you made mention as well that he was an 18-, 19-year-old rookie at one point. Well, he was, and he was with the St. Louis Blues. St. Louis Blues, yes, yep. Yes, <laughs> back, back in the late 80s. Definitely one of those guys that uh, uh, Blues fans can look back and cringe whenever they think of the Blues trade history because <laughs> in 1991, he went uh, to Philadelphia with – one of the biggest jackasses of the league at the time, Dan Quinn, in exchange for Ron Sutter and Murray Barron. And needless to say, Philadelphia <laughs> got the better end of that trade. Uh, and yeah. it's not really even close. But, I mean, talk a little bit more about Brenda Moore. I mean, you know, and, and what he has done, you know, to, uh, to, to lead Carolina to where they are now. Uh, I mean, and, and to touch on what you just said, fast forward to Philadelphia trade him to Carolina and it's like I'm sure they would say the same thing seems oh, like Rod Brindamore was always undervalued in his trades huh yeah real. I mean really one of the most underrated players of all time in my opinion I think so um and you know the Hurricanes didn't let go of him they they kept him until he <laughs> retired and then they said jump on the bench Rod um Rod is, is I have so much respect for Rod Brindamore first of all like as a as a kid growing up playing I I always modeled my play after Rod Brindamore I've always been a a guy guy that I've played every position but mostly uh, a winger and I've always thought defense first like score if you can but I am not going to be the reason why we get scored on this play so I'm always the guy looking to be a high forward when it's needed I'm always the guy making sure pucks go in deep instead of throwing them back a risky play on the point or anything like that and I I learned all that from the way Rod Brindamore plays and exactly how he was as a player is how he coaches these guys to play and and to me it is it is it's so it's such the right answer that I can't believe that it's just not universally understood easily as this is how you play if you want to be successful. Defense drives offense. And there's not a lot of guys in the league, unfortunately, that buy into that. I think that um, if you look at a guy like Tavo Teravainen on the Hurricanes and you see, man, have this guy just blow up. Well, you know, when we got him from, from Chicago, it was great, and we were excited about him, a former first-round pick who has some skill. And, you know, you expect him to be kind of a, a top six, top nine guy, and then he turns into a point-per-game player all of a sudden, and you're like, whoa, this is way more than we expected. Um, and he is probably one of the best two-way forwards on the Hurricanes. His defensive ability, he, he kills penalties. I mean, he is such a good example of, hey, take care of your own end, and the chances come. I think that Sebastian Ajo's the same way. Um, I mean, that season he had last year, all those points, it's because it was probably the best defensive year he's had. Um, and the same thing, kills penalties and, and plays in every situation. And these guys are so the, – the league is so fast now that you have to understand that if, if you're winning battles in your defensive end and coming from underneath with support, that the, the speed of these forwards generating from their own zone, you know, winning a battle like that is automatically going to create a chance. 
So it, it doesn't make sense to cheat offensively for chances when really working hard in the defensive end is, is what leads to those chances. So that is Rod's philosophy. I, I could not be bought in more to that idea. I mean, I've always felt that way, and I'm so glad that there's finally someone who can get professional players to buy in and, and basically prove that this works. I mean, look at last year, and the team bought into it, and, and it worked. It got them to the Eastern Conference Finals on a team that hadn't made the playoffs in 10 years with you know a good roster, but on paper didn't look to be super threatening to anyone, and most people picked them not to make the playoffs. So um, I... I mean, I could sit here. I'd hate to drive up the the playtime on this episode, but I could That's sit here right. for probably and and talk about what Rod Brendamore has done for the Canes. But he is the best leader I've ever known. I mean, I, I watch his speeches and I'm not even in the room, and it gives me goosebumps, you know. And his he's so honest, and you watch his press conferences, and he's never gonna hit you with a bunch of cliches. He's gonna tell you exactly what it is. He's he's so good at. Uh, you know, choosing his words in a way that uh, keep his, hold his players accountable, but without placing blame on any one individual or, or, you know, anything like that. He'll let the guys know when they need to pick it up and get going, but um, he's also there to, you know, make sure they know all the things they're doing right. And he, yeah. I mean, jo- Rod Brendamore, Justin Williams, leaders that this team doesn't go anywhere with without those guys, so... Yeah, I can respect a guy like Brendan Moore because, you know, he sounds very similar to who the Blues have in Craig Berube in that, you know, mm-hmm. he is a, you know, former player. I mean, granted, Berube's job was to, you know, punch faces and, you know, Brendan Moore's <laughs> was to, you know, actually play defense and offense. Um, but Berube is a guy that also, you know, he's he's a guy that commands respect. I mean, he's still got that, you know, that stone face from when he, he played in hockey. But, you know, when he talked to the guy, he's also fair. And, you know, he also will, uh, as you said, he's very upset about Brendan Moore, very thoughtful about his words. Uh, like, I remember when I talked to him at the NHL All-Star Games Media Day, you know, I asked, you know, about Jake Allen's turnaround this year. And, you know, Bruby said it wasn't a turnaround because he thought Jake Allen was playing fine. I mean, he he backed up his goalie, you know, and, and, he's, and he's a guy that whenever – the, the need for criticism is warranted. He will criticize, but he also will defend his players as well. And I think a lot of that mentality comes just from the fact that he was a player himself. So, you know, I can yeah. respect a guy like that. I can respect, respect a guy like Brendan Moore. Um, by the way, I appreciate you mentioning Ter- uh, Tabo Teravainen and the trade that brought him to, to Carolina because Blues fans love it when sh- the Chicago Blackhawks suffer in any way, shape, <laughs> or form. And uh, might I remind our listeners that the trade was Tavo Teravainen and Brian Bickle for oh, a yep. second and a third round pick. That was mm-hmm. it. They, the Blackhawks were in cap hell, as they always find themselves in, and they had to get rid of Bickle's salary, and the price was Tavo Teravainen. And the rest, yep. as they say, is history. So that's correct. <laughs> uh, if I if if I get another Hurricanes jersey, I may make it a Terravine and just yeah out of that out of spite for that trade. So well, he'll be be around for a while. So it's one that you definitely <laughs> wouldn't be wasting money on. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, prediction time. Uh, who do you got uh, this Tuesday night? Oh well, let's see. We have, and I mean, you mentioned the Blues have kind of struggled a little bit recently, but I'm I'm looking at it and I see you know Stanley Cup champion opponent probably the best or I mean I don't know how you could argue not top two best team in the league um, whether you pick the Capitals or the Blues to me those are the teams that you're most scared of yeah um and they've just got 
no really big holes on their roster. They've got a good offense, good defense, good goaltending. Um, and then I look at the Hurricanes, who, you know, have holes on defense, and the offense is kind of dried up to the point where Brenda Moore is essentially throwing his lines in a blender as he does when he's looking <laughs> to find something. Um, and I don't know. I, it really, I think, depends on whether they play Vancouver here right after we record this um, on Sunday, which has already happened at this point. But, you know, if they maybe they find a match that works and get some chemistry and sparks some offense there. But the way the Hurricanes have been playing, I mean, they're really going to have to recommit to their defensive game and just grind the Blues out and, and force the Blues to play a game that, you know, more suits the Hurricanes. I think if the Hurricanes get caught playing the Blues game, uh, they're going to need either Peter Morozik or James Reimer to really bail them out, I think, because I think that the Blues definitely are, are a super talented team that's tough to play against. So I, I would say I'm optimistically expecting a good game, um, but, you know, I would not be surprised at all to see the Hurricanes take the L in that one. Um, you know, it, it pains me to say, but the Blues are just a really good team. So I'm very disappointed because, you know, I, I always lead the Colorado Avalanche guys uh, offside by a mile into my trap here when I tell them, pick a score, and they always pick the Avalanche <laughs> to win, and then they always lose. So I was hoping you were going to say, oh, the Hurricanes were going to win 5-1. to one. It's going to be a blowout. Svechnikov is going to get a hattie um, because then the opposite would have happened. But he didn't fall into my trap, Zach. Mm. Sorry about that. Uh, maybe, right. maybe it is that I, I see through your trap and I'm reverse trapping you now into it. Mm, reverse reverse trapology here, I guess, uh, yes. here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I love it. I, I think it'll be a good game as well. I predict it'll probably be a high-scoring game. Um, and when I say high-scoring, I mean, like, the victor's probably going to win something like 4-3. to three. Uh, the Blues have been a little leaky on defense lately, Justin Falk notwithstanding. Um, and, the, and neither Bennington nor Allen, would I say, are like at the top of their game at the moment. So uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's going to be – I think it's going to be interesting. I think, as I said, I think there will be plenty of goals. I do think – I do pick the Blues to get the edge just simply because, look, it's been, it's been a rough trip. In, in Western Canada, you get to go home for the first time, get that home cooking. And they got a long homestand coming up here, starting with Carolina. I think they're going to be happy to be home, and I think they're going to come out swinging. But not yeah. not, not swinging like the Oilers and Flames did on Saturday. <laughs> hey, that's a different, that's uh, a different story. That's a way <laughs> different story. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that talk with Tom. Uh, again, go follow at Blue Notes Pod. Uh, on Twitter and check out his show on the Hockey Podcast Network. He's definitely one of the best. Um, I know that ran a little long there than we usually go. Hopefully you had time to listen to it, but I, uh, I enjoyed that conversation. I thought it was all good podcast talk. So hope you enjoyed. We'll see you back on Thursday. See ya.